0: Why do people go bald? Why are baboons' bums red? What's a light year? Why do leaves go brown in the autumn? Why do monkeys like bananas? Why do some things glow in Why the dark? Why do death? animals not understand you? Why do my receipts fade after a year?
1: Don't know the answer? Ask the Naked
0: Scientists. Hello and welcome to this week's Ask the Naked Scientists with me, Sue Marchant and Dave Ansel.
2: So what is new in the world of science for you? Well, I saw a nice little story this week um, about self-healing paint. You know, if you've got a car or a phone or something and you just have general wear and tear it tends to get little scratches in it all the time Yeah, and some scientists in southern Mississippi have come up with a way of paint which just heals itself really? yeah what they've done is they've taken polyurethane which is the same kind of plastic as you often get in floor varnishes or that kind of expanding foam mm. um, and they've added some stuff called chitosan into it which you get from um, shells of lobsters and crabs um, and and the, and effect, altered that slightly chemically adding some chemical rings onto it rings onto it then if you scratch it, some, you break some of these rings um, and then you get this sort of um, broken ring which is quite chemically reactive Then if you leave it out in the sun um, it gets some energy from the ultraviolet light in the sun, that gives it a load of energy and the ones at the bottom of the crack then attract sort of bond onto the ones on the other side something onto the other side of the crack and glues it up and then slowly and that brings the crack a bit closer and the next ones up with a bit more ultraviolet light will bond up and sort of drag itself back together and close it up like doing up a zip and so after a while if you leave it in the sun all the little, it's only little scratches at the moment they kind of pull themselves together, zip themselves up and it's almost as good as new
0: Dr. Dave, ready for our first question tonight? Andrew in Cambridge. Um, he says, "How does a computer memory stick work?"
2: Yeah, computer memory sticks are incredible things. The amount of information you can get on a tiny little thing you plug into your computer, and you can store gigabytes of information onto it. Um, basically, they are a little, they've got a little computer chip inside them, and inside that chip, you've got what's called flash memory inside that you've basically got a wire which the which the memory can use to test uh, which basically tests and if electricity can get through that wire then it says then that gives it some information if it can't get through so well then that's another piece of information and above that wire you've got a little piece of metal which is sort of insulated from everything else Um, and then if you want to store information on it, you either put some uh, electrons into that wire and make it charged, in which case it makes it harder for electricity to flow through the original test wire, Mm. or you take them out when it gets easier. So um, if you've got some electrons in there, you can try and put a current through it and find out whether they're there or not. And so you've got a way of storing information. You then multiply that by several billion times. I think modern flash memory chips, you're talking tens of billions of times, Mm -hmm. these little tiny cells. And then you can sort hundreds and hundreds of either ones or zeros, and, with, and then you can use a whole lot of ones and zeros to turn into numbers or pictures or sound or videos, whatever you like.
0: Fantastic. It's
2: basically just electrons stopping other electrons flowing or not.
0: Mm. I hope that's answered your question then, Andrew. Our next question comes from a caller on the line. We've got Ken. Good evening, Ken.
1: Hello there. What's Hello. your question for Dave? Um, it's regarding um, the latest position on a car running on air. The French are working on a prototype car that's working on compressed air. And all it does is you use a small generator, fill up the car tank with compressed air, um, unplug the generator. And the latest um, on the trials is that she's now reaching 100 miles without recharging.
2: That's impressive, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's an approach um, i I'm, it's kind of a slightly scary approach because if you're storing energy as compressed air, yeah. um, it's um, it's very easily released energy because if you get a crack in those tanks. Um, I, I, I personally, I mean, it's a wonderful idea if they can make it work safely. That's well, it's worth
1: up to hundred miles.
2: I don't know whether it will. cut, co- I mean, all these things to do with economics. I mean, it could quite easily. I haven't heard any more than you have. I'm afraid. If getting a hundred miles isn't bad, um, battery cars they're in in sort of similar region. Um, my feeling is that probably electric cars are probably going to end up coming in, in a bigger way, definitely for longer long journeys. Oh right. Um, just because I, mean, I know, having worked in labs, everyone's. You get these really big, sort of six-foot-high air cylinder, compressed air cylinders, Mm. and everyone's petrified of them because if they fall over and the end breaks off them, they turn into rockets and go through walls. I mean, they'll go through sort of brick walls, stone walls. Uh, and keep on going for several hundred feet, they turn into rockets. Um, and, I mean, a- anything which is storing energy is dangerous. Petrol's got a lot of energy in it, so it's dangerous. But it's to do with how easily that energy is released. So they exhaust, apparently. As a gas, you're fine. It's just in a crack. Cra- I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. And if they can make it work, that's wonderful.
1: The other, can I ask you one more question yeah. regarding cars? You know a car roof,
0: Yes.
2: right?
1: Can't they build um, a false roof and fill it in between with helium? and that will take off some of the weight of the car and gain more petrol consumption that way? It
2: would gain you some weight. The problem is the most weight you can gain um, with helium, basically helium works because it's lighter than air, so it floats on air. And the most um, weight you can gain is basically the weight of air. Um, An air weighs about a gram per cubic per litre. So for every litre of helium you have in the top of your car, you will gain about a gramme. Oh, right. And so, and the effort would be—you'd be much better putting that effort into making um, some bits of metal slightly thinner somewhere else in the car.
0: You're very kind. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye. Thank you. Now, our next question is uh, from Mike in Colchester, who says, "I see Sue as a champagne drinker." and wanted to know, if you shake a bottle and open it, it explodes. However, if you shake it, then leave it for 24 hours and extract the cork carefully, it doesn't. Where does the gas go?
2: The simple answer is into the champagne. Basically, uh, the reason why champagne doesn't explode if you open it normally and very carefully is that uh, although the champagne is under pressure and there's far more carbon... Um, when it's under pressure, lots of carbon dioxide dissolves in the champagne then when you release that pressure, not as much carbon dioxide should be able to dissolve in the um, champagne, so it wants to get out somewhere, somehow. What it wants to do is form, turn into a gas, form bubbles, and those bubbles grow, and then that's how it escapes champagne. However, the problem is there's an effect called surface tension in water, and champagne is mostly water, which means that water molecules are attracted to other water molecules. And so if you form a very, very small bubble then just starting if you've just got no bubbles in there. If you've got a very, very tiny bubble and that surface tension is strong enough to crush that bubble back bubble again and that carbon dioxide then dissolves back into the gas. So if you've got no bubbles in it at all, it will sit there and the carbon dioxide will only just escape at the surface very slowly over a long time. And if you shake it up, you um there's a little bit of air in the top of the bottle and you get little bubbles inside the champagne to start with, well not sort of bigger bubbles. And it's much harder for the surface tension to crush a big bubble. So if you then let the pressure off by taking off the lid, um, you've got thousands of bubbles in there already, and they can grow really quickly. So all those bubbles grow, it turns into a great big, huge pile of foam and sprays over everybody. So if you, basically, when you leave it overnight, then all of the bubbles slowly rise to the surface or get re-dissolved inside the champagne. So there's none there to start with. So bubble, so the bubbles can't form very quick quickly. The conducts, they can't escape. It can't form a foam and it can't make a mess.
0: Clever stuff. Um, an email from Paul in Ipswich Hello Paul He asks, is man the only mammal that has racial features i.e. there are mongoloid, negroid, uh, australoid cats dogs, apes etc and if not, why is this the case? Dave
2: well, I think basically what you mean by racial features is different, subspe- different um, groups inside a species who look slightly different for some, for genetic-, for some genetic reason um, and dogs are the, probably the best example of a species with lots of different um, sort of subspecies, mm. which look very different. Because you get Great Danes, basically these breeds. A Great Dane looks incredibly different from a little Piccanese, which is different from a Springer Spaniel, and all basically all the breeds of dogs are equivalent, but much more, far more extreme than different races of humans. Um, the difference between, I mean, the difference between a Great Dane and a Piccanese is. Immensely more than any type of humans. In fact, humans are probably one of the least um, varied um, genetically species out there. Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> in fact, the the complete the um, diversity genetic diversity in humans is less than mountain gorillas. Although there's only a few hundred mountain gorillas. Um, they think basically they think that uh, our species went down to very very few individuals um, a few several several times um, definitely a few thousand years a few, a few tens of thousands of years ago and then we've all um, sort of pro, then we're all in, descended from very few number of individuals so there's very little genetic diversity there to start with sure we haven't had time to build it up through mutation. Right.
0: Mark the Storman says he was reading the paper and he saw that there is an electric car to be put onto the market that will cover over 260 miles on one overnight charge, costing around £1. He appreciates that petrol is an expensive fuel, but how can an electric car be made to run so cheaply from Mark the Storman.
2: Okay, um, I'm I'm surprised that it's quite that cheap. Um, There's a variety of things going on. One of them is that petrol is most most of the, the money you pay to petrol is actually tax so you'll pay um i think sort of at least two-thirds if not more of the petrol you buy and definitely now again it was less when petrol prices went up so much is tax so you might be paying 90 pence to buy your litre of fuel but mm. actually that litre of fuel will probably only cost 30 pence to mm. start with if not less Um, Other things are that a car is relatively an inefficient way of converting um, fuel into mechanical energy. An electric motor, a power station is much more efficient at converting into electricity and an electric uh, electric motor is very efficient at converting electricity into movement. Um, So you gain a bit there. Um, I think probably the biggest effect though is that most electric cars are basically very light um, and very uh, aerodynamic so they don't use very much power to start with um, and if you drive them efficiently then they just don't use very much power because you're not pushing a big car through the air, you're not lifting it up and down hills um, so I think between all of those you'll certainly end up a lot cheaper than a conventional car whether it's a pound for 260 miles I don't know, that sounds a bit extreme but be good I'm though. sure they've managed it somehow yeah,
0: be good <laughs> And uh, more questions Dave? Um, this time from Tony in Chelmsford, He says somebody told me that hypersi- hyperspace travel would be possible. As they're looking into folding space, is this true, or is someone having a laugh?
2: <laughs> oh, yes, um, there is lots of. I mean, in order, if you want to travel across the galaxy, it would be really nice to be able to move faster than the speed of light. Because although f- in our world light's ridiculously fast it goes at three hundred kilometers every second when you start looking at distances between stars the closest star other than the sun is about four it takes light about four years to get to it if you want to go much further you're talking about hundreds of years at the speed of light to, be able to get anywhere that would be a pain so lots of people have been trying to come up with exciting particularly science fiction writers ways of being able to get spaceships between stars much more quickly um one of the ones which people have talked about is hyperspace which I think the idea is that you sort of bend space so that although it, although it appears you're moving relatively slowly through um, in, in space, but actually space has got shorter, so you've mm. sort of travelled according to everyone else's space much further, much quicker. Um, which would be nice. I, th- I think various um, um, sort of theoretical physicists do look into this sort of thing occasionally, comparing it with the laws of um, uh, Einstein's laws of gravity. Um, and I think some of them have come up with ways it may possibly be conceivably possible, but I think normally it involves forms of matter which we haven't discovered. So th- things with negative mass or negative energy or something very exotic, which we certainly have no evidence for. So no one's certainly no one's looking into it in a practical way, only mm. in sort of exciting, sort of theoretical um, flights of fancy, really.
0: Nothing wrong with a few flights of fancy from time to time. Bob in Dunstable, um, he says, If you stood, as one does, on the moon, with, with a compass, would there be any readings?
2: With the compass you use on the Earth, probably not. Um, The magnetic field on the Moon isn't a simple simple magnet like the Earth is. The Earth's magnet um, has got a south pole in the Earth's north pole and a north pole in the Earth's south pole, which sounds slightly odd because actually what we mean by north pole is a north-seeking pole. So that means that any magnets you've got are hanging around. So the north pole is attracted to the Earth's magnetic south pole, which is the Earth's north pole, um, so you can find which way is north. Um, The Moon doesn't have a simple magnetic field like that. It's more complicated. the Earth's magnetic field, we think, is made due to some complicated process um, in the Earth's core involving molten metal um, moving around and flowing and while it's spinning. Um, and and this produces the simple uh, magnetic field of the Earth. The Moon has just got a load of rocks which happen to still be magnetised, possibly because the Moon was originally had its own source of magnetic field um, when the center, when it was still molten, and now it's all solidified. Or Possibly because there are magnetic fields around when the Earth, due to um, big impacts or something, mm. um, plasmas in the, uh, above the Moon, um, and so and those have got frozen in the, in the Moon's surface. The magnetic fields are about a hundredth of the strength as on, as on the Earth. Um, so if you had a super-sensitive um, compass, you would pick up something. Um, it wouldn't necessarily tell you where North was, but there would be a magnetic field there.
0: Fantastic. Now then, we've got Mark on the line. Hello, Mark. Hello, sir. Hi. You're through to Doctor Dave.
1: Hello, Doctor Dave. Hello. I was wondering um, when I was uh, st- uh, staying at a military base uh, over Salisbury Plain.
0: Yeah.
1: There was uh, they were just forming the 24th Air Bar Brigade, and uh, it was activity going on all the while. You know, um, fires, everything. Anyway. Um, you could actually find out the date it was 1988 and it was in september and there was supposed to be a meteor shower that night it was yeah. on patrick moore's program and me and another guy we went and thought we'd have a look you know it's supposed to be sort of pretty spectacular yeah and uh, anyway we were watching up and uh, as you know stars go up and down and they can sort of indicate North and west for you know your yeah. your direction, but we just you, if you look at them, they do tend to sort of move. And we saw these two stars sort of start moving along the sky. Just just that's all I could say. It was two white, high white lights, and uh, we'd seen all sorts of jets and fire. Yeah. But anyway, to cut a long story short. Whether you know, I mean, I know what I saw, and these things accelerated at a speed. They played catch up and chase, and came to a complete stop, and then just. I was wondering if there was some extraterrestrials could they use um, the way these pulsars and stars could they use them the way they, they spin all at different frequencies? Could they use them the way that in the World War two the bombers used oboe. Could they to, use them as sound boys or markers
2: to navigate? So, or? I, th- I mean, it depends. I mean, using stars, I mean, conceivably you could use... Uh, pulsars are very large stars which um, get brighter and darker. Yeah. Um, as, I think it says, um, material is falling in onto them and then it, it heats up and um, it gets very bright and then it calms down again. Yeah. And so you, they sort of pulse at a very regular frequency. Yeah. Um, if you were trying to navigate between uh, around... If you had several pulsars, in a galaxy, and they were very, very predictable. I mean, you could use them as a way of navigating around the galaxy, yeah. conceivably. Um, I think you'd probably be better off um, navigating by um, looking at um, where all the local stars are. If you had a map of where all the stars are, you'd be much more accurate. Um, yeah, you know, no, this was scared. just
1: a crazy thought I had. Um, the sort of whether they can use the whether they could put an, uh, an energy field out and magnetize. <laughs> Uh, ions, you know, and use that as a pulse sort of system. Uh I'm not on the UFO, you know, I just know what I saw that night, but
2: yeah. You I mean,
1: know, I'm open-minded about it. all, you know, I don't don't sort I of, mean, there's, there's no I fundamental don't there reason is, there isn't, but. There's no
2: fundamental reason why there shouldn't be aliens coming around and looking at us. No. Um, no. I, mean, I, I personally haven't I mean, the, thing, the thing is that it's quite easy to there are all sorts of strange things which can produce I mean, I mean the other thing is at night. It, I mean, I'm not saying that it is this, but it, I mean there's all sorts of things which could be one of them is that it's very hard to judge distances. Mm. I mean, it could, I mean you could, could see if it would be something much closer to you which is which moving about? I mean, if you had two glow, flying glowing flies, or um, moving about, and you for certain you were you'd lost your yeah. s- sense. so these were
1: definitely really up high in the strat. Yeah. So whatever they yeah. were, you know, as I say, I, I mean, we we at first thought perhaps you know it just might be. Uh,
2: I mean, there's certainly things we don't it understand. It definitely
1: wasn't the um, the shower. You know, we didn't yeah. see anything like that. Anyway,
0: how fantastic! Thanks yeah.
1: for putting me question. Anyway, bye bye.
0: Take care. bye night. Bye bye.